This is Your Working Life, a show that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown to the show. These guys are truly a dynamic duo, and they're going to teach you what it means to redefine the meaning of selling. Colin and Garrett, welcome. I'm really jazzed to talk to both of you. Likewise. Thanks for having us. You are so welcome. I am really excited. So let me let me share, in the career space, um, I have seen as an executive coach that there are many people that just cringe at the thought of sales. And then there are some that are born to it like a fish in water and they absolutely love it. Let me ask right off the bat, why is it that some people just have that reticent feeling about selling? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. You know, the the thing that we've noticed is that it's a mindset conversation first and foremost. And there's a comfort level with certain people. And I'll give you a really good example. During COVID, we saw these groups of individuals be so comfortable just telling their clients, you know what, this is really weird. Like, I have no idea if we should even be on this call right now, but I know you accepted the calendar invite. Like the mindset of authenticity, of vulnerability, not because they assumed that there was going to be some law of reciprocation, but just that comfort level of knowing that their flawed, normal, authentic self, for some reason, would be okay, that that really works. So it's less about like being born with a gift of gab and more about understanding and being self-aware around like what it is that that really makes a great salesperson. That's just, you know, people are really good at being themselves. Garrett, any thoughts from you about that? Yeah, I'd also add that we all sell every single day, whether we realize it or not, whether we're selling products or services or whether we're selling ourselves in a job interview or to get an idea across, um, or we're selling our spouse on where we should go out for dinner. Like we all sell and we all buy every single day. So as people realize that this is happening and that they are doing it and that they don't have to be the stereotypical salesperson that we all think of when we hear the word salesperson, um, I think that makes it easier for people to realize that their true personalities and their authentic selves can actually be great salespeople oh, because they okay, are every so, single so day. Well said. Well said, both of you. And thank you. Thank you for really dispelling the myth because you're, you're right. I couldn't agree more. We're, we're influencing, we're persuading all the time. You referenced the job interview, you know, so many opportunities in our, in our professional and personal lives to think about how we can become more influential. There's a great uh, quote. Your book was endorsed by Adam Grant, and he talks about this paradox. The harder you sell, the less convincing you become. And I thought that was a, a brilliant quote that really honors the work that you're doing. Yeah, we're, we're definitely grateful for that one. And it makes a lot of sense. We see, you know, we teach a class at USC. It's called Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs. So we are lucky enough every single week to stand in front of 20-year-olds who have never really been out in the real world before and sold. And all of them, like so many of us, have this idea in their heads of what a salesperson is supposed to be like. And so a lot of times what happens is they'll get out there and they'll get into a selling situation and they'll think that they have to act a certain way. They have to sound a certain way. 
They have to be perfect. And it's really fun for Colin and me to get up in front of them and show them all of these mindset lessons that we've learned over the years and prove to them that that's not actually the case. And that in fact, they can go out there, they can be their most authentic selves and they can do things that they never think a typical salesperson should do and still go out there and be great at it. And Caroline, I, I want to go back to what you pointed out because it's a huge moment in the book. Like the Adam Grant quote, what, like what he's isolating is a sense of agency. Like it's the one thing that all great sellers do. Like this, this idea that the people that they're talking to, that they are selling, feel that they are in control. They feel like they are in control of their own actions, that they're part of the process. And we see it all the time. These, these so-called great salespeople, um, they're, they're such knowers and they have all the answers and, and they overcome all the objections and they have everything right. And then people say no to them and they go, well, wait a minute, like, why are you saying no to me? Like everything that I said was what you wanted to hear. And, and the reason is because you were right. I'm saying no because you're right, because I don't feel part of the process, because I because you've stripped me of my sense of agency. So th- this whole mindset, you know, process is around like how you how do you become the type of person that asks questions because you genuinely want to know the answers? And the person that's answering the question has never heard it before. So therefore, they ideate for the first time in real time, and whatever their answer is, they take ownership of it. That's agency, right? That's not you selling them, that's them buying. So I just love that you went there because that's a really important moment in the book. And I, it's about curiosity and being open and being fluid and, and not having that set plan. I want to pick at something though, Colin, because you just set me up thinking about another section of the book that I really loved. There is this myth, at least I have this, uh, I want to bust this myth, right? This perception that sellers have to be these gregarious, charismatic, extroverted people. And the two of you write that the greatest sellers can often be introverts, to your point, who say, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And they're authentic and they also own their mistakes. Oh. So tell me more about that. It's, you're, the greatest sellers on the planet are not extroverts. They're not gregarious. They're not ultra self-confident. They're very self-aware. They know that they said something and they're in the moment. So they realize that it didn't land and they're able to course correct real time. You know, they're not these like sociable people that, you know, the, the life of the party, they're socially aware. Like they know that the person they're talking to does not think that they are listening. They think that they're waiting to speak and they're able to change. Right. So, so these, these conversations, right, these introverts, they're such great salespeople because we give introverts permission to sell us. Like they rarely speak. So when they do speak, it's powerful and it's impactful. You know, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions around who the greatest salespeople on the planet really are. And, I, and I'll give you a really great example of this. Every keynote speech that Garrett and I ever give leads with two questions. And the first is, what do you think of when you hear the word salesperson? And you hear these words like gregarious and extroverted if they're nice, right? Like sometimes like they're just being honest and they're saying pushy and smarmy and manipulative. But when we ask him the other question, which is like, who's the greatest salesperson you know? And you don't have to know him personally. Like who's the greatest salesperson you can think of? The, the top two answers are Steve Jobs, Martin Luther King Jr. Right? So this wow. incongruence is just fascinating. And, and, the, and the top, like, like a really close third are family members, my son, my mother, my wife, my husband. 
So it's like, you just said that like the word like salesperson makes you think icky. And then when I asked you who the greatest salesperson was, you know, you said your son. So there's a lot that we, you know, that's where Garrett and I love to live in that incongruence and bridging that gap. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, so Garrett, I want to ask you this because I agree you both write about humans are attracted to people that we have things in common with. And that relatability is really part of the trust in the relationship. So unpack that a little bit for me about that relatability when you're influencing or persuading or or selling. Yeah, we see this all the time. You know, people, people are not attracted to perfection. They're actually attracted to people like them. And we talk, we have, there's a chapter in the book and, and we talk a lot with our students about the, the concept of falling in love. And it's actually one of our favorite concepts to talk about because most people roll their eyes and they go, what are these guys talking about? Um, falling in love, this is not selling, but we have proof, uh, both, both scientific research and then obviously lots of anecdotal proof in our own experiences and with all of these great sellers that we interviewed that you just interact with people differently. You move differently when you are of the mindset that you're in love with them, whatever that means to you. And, and, you know, you're asking better questions. You're listening more intently. You are, um, you really want to genuinely know about them. And that's a huge difference between a, a, an amateur or an average salesperson who wants to come in and ask the questions on the script because they feel like they have to versus the person who's literally gotten themselves into a mindset where they love the person that they're about to talk to or that they are about to have a meeting with um, and they can't wait to learn more about them. So they get into this mindset and they're able to then have these deeper connections and these deeper com- uh, conversations that you're talking about. And the, so I want, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to say that like, what, it's the fascinating part about what Garrett's talking about is that we do this exercise in our class. Like we pair mm. all of our students up and tell them, okay, you have three minutes to fall in love with each other. And we're actually talking about the word love. Okay, so so they're looking at each other, they're freaking out. Like you could tell, like they're gonna drop this class as soon as they're done. And and they're by the end of it, they're in this like deep engaged conversation. And we ask them all, we go, like, okay, so like what what do you love about each other? And without a doubt, every single time for the last 10 semesters, the things that they love about the person that they are that they are engaged with are are what are most important to them. They're seeing themselves in the people that they're talking yeah. to, and it's crazy because we never ask them to. Like they're like, "Oh, I love that he um, that he that he transitioned out of uh, econ, you know, in, in his sophomore year. I went through a similar transition. Oh, I love that she travels. Like I traveled when I was a freshman. We never asked them to see themselves in these people. We just said, focus on the questions that you would have to ask to actually fall in love. And lo and behold, all of them are seeing themselves in their people." It's just so hard not to have a connection when you see yourself in someone else. Yeah. Oh, I love that. To be a fly on the wall in your class. Oh my God. Awesome. You should see it. Like the, the football player with like the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the finance person. Oh my yeah. God. It's amazing. That is awesome. Well, guys, hold one minute. We're going to be right back after a quick break and then we're going to dive right back in. Hello there, it's Caroline Dowd Higgins. I know that hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who can customize content to meet your goals and someone who will work within your budget and engage your audience. 
Meeting planners around the world have recognized me for being easy to work with and uniquely suited to create dynamic programming for your needs. My style is high energy and engaging with practical takeaways that participants can implement in their lives and careers immediately. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create healthy workplace cultures, or prevent burnout in your organization, I create customized content to help recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. From the boardroom to the training room or the convention hall, I will help your audience thrive. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So you two have just such a gorgeous rapport, right? It, I mean, you've been lifelong friends. I don't want to say lifelong. I don't know how, how long, but you're dear friends, your colleagues, you teach together. So how did you build that rapport and how did you uh, nurture that friendship? Tell, tell me more about that. We- it was it was instant. Um, and, and this is, we, we get asked a lot after, after people see us speak or after they come and sit in on our class and they go, do you, are you guys really that good of friends? And we really are. So we are not lifelong friends. We've known each other about 10 years and we met at a, at a, uh, enterprise startup company where I was running the revenue team, um, from the very beginning. And we were just starting to get some traction, starting to scale, starting to build a team. And I needed somebody who was way smarter than me who had done it before. Um, and, and that's when finally, after a long search, Colin walked in the door and Colin, I, I heard myself as I started answering that question, you were about to tell the story of when we met. So I won't steal that from you. I'll, I'll turn it over. <laughs> I was not, I was not going to do that. You know what I was going to say? I was going to answer it with one sentence. I was going to say, we love each other. You know, it's like people, people get a kick out of that, but like, like we do, like we, we don't, we would never want to do this by ourselves. Like the fact that like, the fact that like we, like this all started, this relationship, this friendship was started by doing things for free that we loved doing. And we weren't, we weren't getting paid for the things that we were doing. We were just excited to do it. The minute that Bidium was acquired by Google, the, you know, the, the academia world wanted to know like what we were doing differently. That led to like such a wild journey where we have been on planes, trains, and automobiles together, and our two sons and wives are friends. And over the last 10 years, like we would rather spend time with each other doing things that we love doing that we would do for free. And now we're getting paid to do them. But you know, the friendship is very real. And I'm not afraid to say that we love each other because like that's the whole point of the book, right? Is that your your authentic self, Chef Roy Choi said it best. He said, we interviewed him for the book and he's a, he's an introvert. And he said, you know, I have lived multiple authentic lives. And it just made so much sense to us because the, the authentic life that we're living right now, like Garrett's logical. I'm emotional. Garrett might be more of an introvert. I might be more of an extrovert. You know, the, Garrett's not a pessimist, but I wouldn't call him an optimist. You would definitely call me a pathological optimist. Like we are each other's better halves. And so when we speak to people like we know not everyone's going to love me for sure. And definitely not everyone's going to love Garrett without a doubt. <laughs> but between the two of us, they're like, oh, like the whole point is that there isn't one way. That is so awesome. And I'm so glad you said that, that you love each other as friends. That's so beautiful. And it really, 
also enlightens me about the beautiful exercise that you have in your class, right? So thank you for that. That was awesome, gentlemen. Awesome. So I'm going to segue a little bit because we're going to talk about how to buy the book. I love the concept. I love what you're teaching this global audience, but I want to get to know the two of you better. So I want you both to answer the question, what's the best career advice you've ever gotten? And I'll let either one of you decide who wants to jump in first. I can go just because I say it all the time because we give career advice all the time to our students. Um, but you know, it's it's that you should think about what you would do for free, like what like what you're what you're good at and what you love doing are not always going to be the same thing. And but you know, you're you're going to figure out what you're good at. But like you have to really be intentional about finding what you love doing. And if you do that, then you can start to find what you love doing, you know, in the job that you're good at. So, you know, we always tell people like, like don't freak out about like which job you're going to get or not get. Like freak out about like what you actually want. Like if every job paid the same, what job would you take? And then start to have the conversation about how to get there versus trying to figure out step one of step one, you know, of a hundred steps. Yeah. I think that answer depends on where you are in your career too. We are, we, we, we talk to a lot of students who are going out and they're about to look for their first job and maybe they're comparing job offers or they're not sure about this industry versus that industry or this company versus that company. And one of the things that we tell them is, is advice that I got early on and I'm, I'm grateful I took, which is, you know, optimize for experience early on and not money. Because in the long term, the money will come, but the experience, especially when you're young and you don't have as many responsibilities and, and that sort of thing, you can, it, it's just a special time to be able to optimize for that. So if one of the companies is kind of in your hometown and another one's in a city that you would love to live in, we always tell our students, you know, there's value in that, even if the hometown job pays a couple bucks more. So, uh, you know, early in a career, I would say that later on, I think Colin's advice is, is great. And I would add to that, which is that, you know, we all um, there are parts of our job that we love. There are parts of our job that we hate. And people like to say, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. But the reality is that every job has stuff that you aren't going to want to do. And so, kind of changing your mindset because we are the mindset guys here is and to realize that there are a lot of things in your job that you would do for free as Colin said and just kind of shift your mindset and realize that you're getting paid for the rest and we heard uh the old NFL player Ray Lewis had a great quote where he said um you know he said you pay me for what I do Monday through Saturday but Sundays are my pleasure meaning that the training and the practices and the injury treatments and all the things that a a professional football player does during the week, you know, that's what he felt like his paycheck was for. But then when he got to put on the uniform, go out there in front of the fans and play the game that he loved on Sunday, he was doing that for free. And so maximizing that time where you're in the mindset that you would do that for free, as Colin was saying, I think that's really special to do later in your career when, when you have that luxury. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well done, both of you. Okay. So here's another question. In the spirit of vulnerability and authenticity, which helps make great sellers and off and also the unsold. So we're going to talk about that in just a bit. Mm-hmm. Tell me each about a professional failure. And it's not so much about the failure, but how did you recover? Because I'm trying to destigmatize failure 
and really reframe it as a wonderful opportunity to learn. Oh, you are our people, Caroline. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> so I have a I, I have a story that I tell um, to our class, and I started telling it during COVID um, because you know it it's very weird, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very grateful for COVID. Like these opportunities mm. that wouldn't have you know come up. Um, and I tell the story of you know back in 2009 when this great recession was happening and um, I was, you know, mid twenties and thriving and single and loved it in, in LA and everything, you know, basically shut down and my office shut down and they were like, Hey, if you want to keep your job, you have to move to Northern California. And so like my whole great mid twenties life just got ripped away. And I went up to NorCal and I was really sad for a while um, because I missed what I had. And eventually, you know, a couple of years later, I was able to come back down to LA and all of my friends had moved in with their girlfriends or with each other. And like, we weren't roommates anymore. And so I ended up having to become roommates with, um, with these guys that, you know, were fresh mm. from New York and they needed like a fourth roommate in the Hollywood Hills. And they would invite people from New York over all the time, because that's what you do when you're from New York and you live in LA. And this one time, this girl walked in who was a friend of a friend who was there visiting grad schools in LA. Aww. And that girl's my wife now. Like, like, I would not be on this call with you. I would not be teaching with Garrett. I would not have my sons. Like, the best part of my world, I would not have ha had if it weren't for the Great Recession, one of like the biggest obstacles that I've ever gone through. So, you know, I think that answers your question in a story and Garrett's probably laughing because I'm talking way too much, but I did not cry. So that's a plus for me. I'm, I'm not laughing, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely smiling because she asked you for a, a, a failure and you in your beautifully pathologically optimistic way told one and then told why it was great. And, and, and honestly, I love that he did that because that's so much of what we teach. And, and as far as my answer to the question goes, you know, I, I started my career as a lawyer. I did law school. I passed the bar. I then found myself behind a desk in a mid-sized law firm in Century City in Los Angeles, um, counting every six minutes of my day as, as young associates do. And I was miserable. And um, at some point, it was just time for me to stop, partly because I was also a terrible lawyer. I, I sometimes leave that part of the story out. I sucked at it. <laughs> but but um, you know, I and and I left, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I I had been representing startups, and I knew I wanted to do that. Um, but I felt like a huge failure at that point. You know, I had spent at that point it was around six years of my life between law school and practicing law, um, and and realized I was miserable at it um, and miserable in it, and so I felt like a huge failure there too. But to Colin's point, you know, my the, the job that I got, the easy way into those startups is through a sales job. And so I took the first sales job I could get and everything that's happened since is because of that. And now I stand on stages and talk to amazing people like you about selling and the selling that we all do every day in our lives. Um, and so ultimately I am very grateful for that experience as well. Wow. You gentlemen are great. And I'm so grateful for your vulnerability as well as your authenticity. So as we wrap, uh, the book is called The Unsold Mindset, redefining what it means to sell. So tell this global audience, where do you start? What's one thing that everybody listening around the world can do now to change their mindset around selling? Mm. You know, one actionable takeaway that 
that we've we found really impactful is most people are goal oriented and they're really proud of it. You know, like if you look at really successful people, they'll tell you that um, they have goals, they're defined and they look at them often. Right. Um, but as we were interviewing like these great sellers, we would, we, Garrett and I, as, as goal oriented people, we would lead in and ask them questions about their goal writing and setting process. And more often than not, like they would always answer us like defining their purpose. Like it was the weirdest thing ever. We're like, hey, tell us about your goal setting process. And they're like, well, my purpose is blank. But we never asked them what their purpose was. And so we started looking for it. And and we found that the reason why some of these great sellers have the resilience that they do is because they don't look at goals like finish lines. They look at them like mile markers. But the only reason that is, is because they have a clear and defined purpose. And that purpose is not ephemeral like most goals. So I would say, you know, one actionable takeaway is go out and like write a purpose statement. Like it's, it's fascinating and you'll learn a lot about yourself and then you'll start to see other people that are purpose driven and you'll start to attach your goals to your purpose. And then just the world sort of opens up and authenticity and vulnerability becomes way more of an asset um, than, you know, just looking at goals as finish lines. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, Garrett, bring us home. One of the nicest compliments we got from somebody who read a later uh, draft of this book, they said, you know, you can take the word salesperson in this book and you can replace it with the word person. Mm-hmm. And part of the, re- the reason the book is called The Unsold Mindset is because all of these amazing people that we were interviewing uh, for the book, they weren't just salespeople. They were they were successful leaders in all of their fields. We talked to doctors and lawyers and military generals and hypnotherapists and everything in between. And they not, some of them didn't consider themselves salespeople, but trust me, they were. So for for uh, the the biggest actionable piece of takeaway that I could offer is realize that you are a salesperson, and then get unsold on what that means, and and do it the way that is authentically you. Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown, I have learned so much from you today. What a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I want to tell this global audience again, the title of your awesome book. It's called The Unsold Mindset, Redefining What It Means to Sell. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But I appreciate that you two also have a passion for the independent booksellers. So let's give them a shout out. And your website is colinandgarrett.com, C-O-L-I-N, and Garrett, two R's, two T's, dot com. Gentlemen, thank you for being awesome. Thanks, Caroline. We had a blast. And if you would like to listen to your working life, it is now available on all major podcast platforms. And I want to hear from you. So tell me what we're doing well and what career-minded issues you would like me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at cdowdhiggins or check out my website at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And I always give a special shout out to my extraordinary Your Working Life colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the globe. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.